the people that really engaged, um, because it was basically from my network at the time, I was still a student and a lot of my team were all my friends, basically, who were all students. It was young people. And that was almost really planted the seed. Um, I realized how great it was that young people could have this platform to engage, ask questions with to different people who have such different experiences. And the power of conversation, that was when it really struck me, is something that's so important for creating change. Welcome back to The Purpose Effect, the podcast about purpose-driven businesses and what we can learn about solving some of the world's biggest problems from the women who are solving them. I'm Elena Kersey, and I'm on a mission to learn how we can build better, better work, stronger communities, a healthier planet. If you believe there's a better world out there waiting for us, then this podcast is for you. So I have a new top tip for dealing with eco-anxiety. If I want to feel hopeful that our future is in safe hands, then I have a conversation with somebody younger than me. Like millennials, Gen Z believe that tackling climate change is an urgent priority. However, unlike older millennials like myself, Gen Z seem to have a much more holistic perspective on the climate and the impact it's going to have on nearly every aspect of our lives. More than any other generation, climate issues are shaping how Gen Z view work. In the UK, health insurance company Bupa found that 59% of Gen Zs between 18 and 22 would stay longer with employers who were socially and environmentally responsible. And in Australia, young workers have left businesses that weren't doing enough to respond to climate change. When I spoke to Sonali Figueres at the start of the season, she said that she believed that as more Gen Zs enter the workforce and start controlling more money, we'd see a real shift in the way food was produced and also in how big businesses respond to climate change. So that's why I wanted to hear from Belinda Ng, fellow podcaster and sustainable food advocate. Belinda is a recent university graduate at the start of her career with an ESG consulting firm, and she's also launched Sustainapod, a youth-led podcast about green careers, and has been involved in a number of food advocacy initiatives in her native Hong Kong, as well as in the UK where she lives. What I found interesting about this conversation was how Belinda views sustainability as almost a thread that needs to connect everything. We need to think about how we can rebuild everything from our food systems to our work lives and that we need real collaboration between sectors in order to make the kind of lasting change that will safeguard all of our futures. I came away from this chat feeling really inspired and hopeful, so I hope you will too. Let's get into this chat with Belinda Ng, the founder of Sustainapod and food sustainability advocate. But before we do, I'm going to pour myself a hug in a mug with a cup of tea bird tea. I love tea bird tea, and not just because the packaging is absolutely beautiful, although it is, or because the tea is organic and comes in biodegradable tea bags, although it does, but because I love the way tea bird tea's founder, Ashley Cotterell, uses her business to support other businesses doing good. Ashley partners with brands and not-for-profits doing good for people and planet because she believes that this is how you build sustainable businesses. And I couldn't agree more. So if you want delicious, healthy, beautifully packaged tea that makes impact, you can get 20% off using the code HUGINAMUG20. I'd recommend the Earl Grey and Orange. It's my favorite. 
If I really had to try and pin down one moment where I had this realization about how complicated, but also how tangible the problem was, it would be during one of my very many volunteering trips to rural villages in China, which I've been doing. Basically, we go to these villages in the mountainous regions to fundraise and support primary school refurbishment, but we spend time with the villagers who their primary livelihood was farming and agriculture. And so one village in particular, Taiping, um, in Cantonese is Taiping Suha, I first visited when I was 13. And I met this girl around my age from the village. And six years later, in 2019, we re- revisited the school and I was still in touch with her. And I visited her family and her farm. And basically she told me how the weather had gotten extremely irregular during kind of that period of time. And it was actually just after a period of quite bad flooding. And I think seeing firsthand the impacts of climate change there really showed me that it's not just about the weather, it's about food insecurity, there are subsequent cascading effects on livelihoods, education, and more. And so even now in my current line of work that's you know more focused on corporate strategy and the private sector, I think about this girl and her family a lot because it's, for so many people, it's so tangibly felt and the environmental impacts are so connected to the social. And have you had your own challenges, I guess, with eco-anxiety, particularly doing what you do day in and day out? You, you're an ESG consultant for big business. We're not moving fast enough. Does it make you feel despondent? Do you feel angry? Yeah, I think all of it. And I think that's the complicating part. Like it's hard to pin down one feeling for eco-anxiety because it really fluctuates. It's what I really tell all my friends and, you know, family when I'm feeling this way is that it's almost like the more you know, (laughs) the worse it is. Ignorance is really bliss in this case because I definitely at times, especially kind of knowing how slow the progress is right now, we're not moving fast enough, as you said, feel angry, feel frustrated, feel despondent. And then I also think about how many incredible people are driving so much change, how people are uniting others. I think this kind of race to achieve net zero, to decarbonize, to build a more sustainable future unites people as much as it is causing a lot of division and polarization with how how to actually do it or how slow we are. So I think that gives me a lot of hope as well. Let's talk about the people of your generation, the amazing people of your generation who from such a young age have such an activist approach to to climate change. I'm really impressed by how, you know, you're starting businesses, you're galvanizing communities. It seems to come all very naturally to you to be able to harness the tools, the digital tools in particular that you have at your disposal to to make impact. So let's talk about what you've been doing. Heart to Heart, Act for Food, Sustainapod. When did these all begin and how did you go from zero to one? How did you build these communities? How did you raise so much money? Yeah, sure. I'll start with Heart to Heart. So essentially, Heart to Heart Hong Kong was a fundraising and educational campaign that I started in the summer of 2020 at the peak of really the impacts of the COVID pandemic in Hong Kong, where I was at the time. And there was a lot of 
food shortages around prices were really high and traditional food banks and um, their donors weren't able to support enough low-income families and households with temporary food alleviation care packages. So there was a fundraiser going on at the time. And so I decided to work with this NGO, Food Link Foundation, to raise that money needed to cover about 300, 400 more care packages, which would last a family for about a week or two. And I think the whole process started really organically. I just felt very powerless at that time. Everything was online. You know, COVID was very bad. And I wanted to try and mobilize a community to support on this. So in terms of the key things that we're able to generate awareness and inspire action to be able to achieve this fundraiser, there's two parts. The generating awareness part, I think there's a lot of content out there on the internet that people consume. It's very, very saturated. So my approach was to really have a clear understanding of what my target audience would be most affected by and have a clear understanding of their preferred mediums, how they want to receive their content, what will catch their eye, and then think about how can I do this creatively and package the messaging that's not, you know, a very conventional ask of we want some money, would you be able to donate? Um, And so it's really around framing the incentive for the call to action. And that also came with the why, like what would motivate them to do certain things. And so the next part, which is inspiring action, and I'll go into how the campaign did that after this, Mm -hmm. I think is the building a community part is making people feel like they are amongst a crowd with aligned goals and motivation. And to do that is really about being accessible online, replying to messages, interacting regularly, and being very approachable with the target audience. And in this specific instance with the fundraiser, it was a very, very broad target audience, the broader, the better. So we really try to keep a very clear, simple messaging about who we are and our big why, what is really driving us. And then in terms of the tailoring, because we knew we were targeting people based in Hong Kong, we had Chinese and English content for accessibility. And then for the creative part, for inspiring action, though we were working on raising awareness about food poverty alleviation, we decided to launch a competition for people to basically make a heart shape out of their food creatively. And so it was not directly related to food poverty, but it was a very very hands-on way for people that allowed for creativity and also in a way helped people think twice about what they're having on their plate at a time when food poverty is such an issue in society. And we had awards for the winners that were voted for the community. So that's the community building part. And also held webinars that directly allowed this community that have already been engaged through the creativity part to engage and critically discuss the issue of food poverty with with speakers from different sectors of society. And the people that really engaged, um, because it was basically from my network at the time, I was still a student and a lot of my team were all my friends, basically, who were all students it was young people and that was almost really planted the seed. Um, I realized how great it was that young people could have this platform to engage, ask questions with to different people who have such different experiences and the power of conversation. That was when it really struck me is something that's so important for creating change. Yeah. Conversation is powerful. I think especially in helping people to think about things differently 
Um, so was that one of the goals behind? So was that one of the goals behind Sustainapod? So Sustainapod is a youth-led podcast that basically focuses on three things, which is to empower, educate, and connect young people. So in essence, it's about educating young people about different sustainability topics and careers in sustainability through different perspectives. And then the empowerment part is empowering them to drive environmental and social change. And then finally, connecting them to leading sustainability professionals, entrepreneurs, change makers in a critical dialogue in the form of a podcast. And the reason yeah. why we do this is because I really want to enable them to be change makers and lead impactful careers in sustainability. And the story of how it came about was during the COVID pandemic, again, <laughs> final year of undergraduate, I was figuring out what to do afterwards. And I knew I was interested in sustainability, but I wasn't really sure like what exactly that meant, like what, what could I apply to in terms of job opportunities, what kind of skills were needed. So I started informally reaching out to people in the field to hear their stories and get some more inspiration. And those conversations really helped me. I really don't think I wouldn't, I would be here in this role right now if it weren't for those conversations. And so at the time, I also got into listening to podcasts, as I think a lot of people did <laughs> in lockdown. And a lot of them were also, I realized, about really interesting sustainability topics. But it was very, there were very few that featured young people directly asking these questions with the guests on their podcasts. So especially in the Asian context as well. So that's how Sustainapod was born. There's a really strong focus in Sustainapod with how sustainability intersects different sectors and industries. So like, you know, the public, the private domain, civil society. We looked, for example, at how engineering in the engineering sector, like how, what sustainability looks like in this field. And so I think there's a really key aim to try and change young people's mindsets that sustainability is almost like a siloed topic on its own, but mm -hmm. it's something that will intersect and affect so many different disciplines. And definitely in their career lifetime, we're talking about high school students and university will be entering the workforce soon. Yeah. I mean, sustainability is not a career path in and of itself. Um, every single discipline is going to need to understand how to use that discipline in a way that meets the sustainability objectives that all businesses are going to have to adopt. I mean, it's not just something for your head of ESG or your ESG consultant into the business. This is something that needs to be driven, set and driven by the entire C-suite. What have you learned about the interconnectedness? What are you seeing also from your role now that's working well? Because there's a lot of work on stakeholder engagement that guests on the podcast have mentioned and is also something I, I do in my line of work. And that's in many ways often the most challenging component, but it's the component that needs to be done the best. And so I think doing that well uh, really enables an interconnectedness across different sectors and disciplines. And that's what's really needed to break down the silos between the, be it science and the science acad academia, and then the policy and then the markets, but also across different disciplines, because I think there's a lot to learn from different industries and and that's what really, connecting the dots to me, that's what really fosters innovation. A more important point is that we are inherently interconnected. Like someone's scope 
three emissions is going to be someone's scope one or two emissions. There's no chance of like not in my backyard kind of mindset because be it working with you as a business, you will have suppliers, you'll have customers, everyone's all embedded in some way along the same value chain and everyone has different um, interests or drivers or levers that you can mobilize to connect as well. So a lot of it now is I think about building that channel of communication, building that partnership, aligning on these goals. Yeah, that's a lot of what my work is exposing me to as well so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge shift. And it's a huge shift, I think, in mindsets around how we have been building businesses over the last sort of 15, 20 years. But I want to talk specifically about food because I know food and and how to make our food systems more sustainable, how to consume food more sustainably is an area of interest for you. So do you want to tell me a little bit about, firstly, what a sustainable food system could look like for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a massive question. I'm going to try and keep this short. If I could describe in three words, I would say it is one that is equitable, resilient, and regenerative. And inherently, that means it incorporates both the social and the environmental impact and delivers benefit for both. Uh, To elaborate further on what that actually looks like, I'm going to draw on the Act for Food, Act for Change campaign's top 10 actions for change, which were voted by over 100,000 young people. So I am one of the 30 young leaders from around the world that have been selected to drive the Act for Food, Act for Change campaign that is basically aiming to bring together different stakeholders and drive that transition to a more sustainable food system and take action across all 10 of the actions for change to achieve that vision. Mm. So what some of these actions for change include, everyone being able to afford healthy and accessible food, sustainable farming practices that regenerate our soils, reducing the use of damaging chemicals to protect biodiversity, educating people about food and its impact on the planetary and human health, um, reducing land use conversion like deforestation, reducing plastic pollution, using and valuing local indigenous food knowledge, which needs to be done a lot more, creating employment for young farmers and entrepreneurs in agriculture, supporting local growers, protecting food production from political disruption or conflicts, which is the resilience part, And also just adding two more, which I think are also personally very important, achieving gender equality. Women are so involved in food value chains, often in very different ways to men. And there's such a need to empower women in this space and grant them equal opportunities to be able to drive a more sustainable food system. And also definitely food waste, bringing in something that's more circular and regenerative from from start to end, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me a little bit about personally the work you've been doing um, with the Act for Food, Act for Change campaign has been, and also maybe how that's trickled down into a new venture that I know you're starting at the moment. Yeah, for sure. So the Act for Food, Act for Change campaign uh, has been very much centered on education for me at the moment. Um, There's loads of different youth leaders coming in from different backgrounds. Some are more activists, some have their own businesses, and that's what I love. It's the idea that young people 
aren't just activists, which is some sometimes a label that's given to young people, but everyone's coming in from different backgrounds. Some are doing creating impact in academia, etc. So I think there's such a broad way in which the, the 30 young leaders have been involved. And I've been so inspired and in learning from so many others that are, for example, a lot more active in advocacy. I would say my approach has really been more focused on education. So I've been involved in, in webinars that have been focusing on engaging young people on explaining what is a sustainable food system and what can young people do. So that's the empowerment piece. Right now in the UK, where I'm based, I'm working on building partnerships more with the private sector mm-hmm. and creating these partnerships to ensure that young people's voices about what we want in a sustainable food system are included, for example, in what retailers are planning um, in their sustainability strategy or just other players along the private sector value chain as well. This is quite early stage at the moment, but there's a lot of exciting things coming up. And also, last but not least, a very uh, a topic that I'm very, very interested in is entrepreneurship and and what that can do. So really trying to create a platform through the campaign to spotlight and empower young entrepreneurs in the agri-food system. Um, I was previously an ambassador for Thought, Thought for Food, and that was a very amazing experience to be able to learn from and work alongside some very, very inspiring agri-tech entrepreneurs from around the world. Kind of that leads me to what I've been doing in in the UK. This is a very, very early stage idea, but it's something that I'm very excited about, which is a venture called Conscious Seeds. It's a mobile app that is designed to be a platform that can connect climate and sustainability-oriented consumers towards sustainable eateries in the city of London. And it really came about driven by the fact that Gen Z demographic consumers, they care a lot about, you know, reducing their environmental impact when they're eating. But there's a lot of information out there. It's very decentralized. It's quite fragmented. Most people I've spoke to just kind of Google where to go if they, you know, wanted to support a restaurant that is adopting all sorts of sustainability measures. And so that's kind of where the need came about. And then on the kind of restaurant end as well, I visited a few restaurants, like local eateries in the city, and they were doing all sorts of really cool things, like donating their food leftovers like to food banks, really tackling food poverty in that way, or their food was sourced from a, a local farm and grown in very sustainable ways. But there isn't really, especially for these SMEs, like a pla- or the resources for them to amplify this. And I'm just thinking consumers would love this, you know, obviously provided it's within their their price point when they're going out to eat. That's kind of how it came about. And yeah, so we've been part of a few pre-accelerators, um, been prototyping our our final, what the app would look like. And it's we've been also been able to speak to quite a few restaurants that have been interested in, in joining. So really at the stage of building that community again, which goes back to what you were saying earlier about just how powerful that is in my mind, to really connect the dots between these different stakeholders in the food system. So yeah, that's more on the consumption side. <laughs> that's interesting. But it also speaks, I think, very specifically to what people of your generation really want. And I wanted to ask, from your perspective, what do you want from, from your food choices? 
what do you and other young people in your generation want from the food system, which is currently not being provided? Yeah, I agree very much, Philly, that it, it reflects an increasing awareness about, you know, provenance, where food comes from. Uh, how has it been sourced? For example, like seafood, how has it been fished? <laughs> and then also the people part, like people are involved in every part of the, the value chain. How have the people been treated? How has the environment been treated? If we go all the way back to farming and, and the impacts that, that that has. So I think in a way, what I mentioned earlier about the Act for Food, Act for Change, Actions for Change, that's a vision of what a more sustainable food future would look like. And that's really the priority that I myself and also all the young people who've been working on the campaign believe retailers should take into account when they're designing their sustainability strategies and more importantly, implementing them. What do you think are our best chances for achieving a more sustainable food system? Are you, are you hopeful about this? It's a very, very complicated issue and we have a big challenge ahead of us. So it's going to be tough, but I think I don't really have any choice but to be optimistic and hopeful because that's the motivation, right? That's the big vision. I think the challenge comes from the fact that the food system is so multi-scalar and so complex and so many different players. So it really requires that systems change. That's the complicated part. And so I think we need three things, which already also kind of touch on what I mentioned earlier in this episode, which is greater transparency in the food system. There's so many processes upstream that consumers are simply not aware about. And so we need to rapidly promote education on the consumer end, which is what STEM Conscious Eats for me. And also we need that communication across the value chain and with stakeholder engagement. Second, we need greater collaboration within the industry, links to what I just said, you know, suppliers to work with manufacturers, chefs to work with farmers, consumers to make their voices heard and expectations like consumers basically share what they what they're looking for when they go out and eat, for example, with restaurants. And then we need greater collaboration across sectors, disciplines, and generations. We need empathy and open-mindedness to understand how the stakeholders and their agendas and interests vary in a very context-specific way. So I think policy, markets, education, civil society, academia, they all play a role in this and need to be given platforms for meaningful dialogue and and collaboration. So that also includes young people as well. (laughs) Your generation are tipped to be the most disruptive generation ever. I'm very interested to see the positive disruption that you guys will bring. But I'm interested to know how brands, all kinds of brands, but particularly legacy brands, particularly the slower movers of the space, how they can engage your generation in their sustainability initiatives, how they can get buy-in from your generation authentically. What are you looking for when you make purchasing decisions? I love this question. I think I think young people bring in so many different perspectives and learnings, which which vary from based on our unique background. So young people need to be given opportunities to engage throughout from the start to the end rather than just as a passive like end consumer slash user young people are active 
um, given it is a two-way exchange, I think, when and that's what engagement needs to be. And and more importantly, also offer opportunities for co-creation. Again, I'm I'm such a big fan of learning from, for example, legacy brands and vice versa. And so for this engagement to be effective, the power dynamics are important, making young people feel like their perspectives have truly been taken into account and, and valued and considered rather than just a more performative act of, oh, we've spoken to young people kind of thing. And also, it would be great to think about more who they're engaging with within the young people demographic because it's also extremely diverse. Are young people from more marginalized and disadvantaged backgrounds also included in meaningful ways? But in terms of the outcomes, I think accountability and transparency are vital more generally for any kind of sustainability strategy implementation as well. It's not just about what you want to do, but how you will do it and how you're going to bring everyone along for the ride. I always like to go into the lessons on this podcast. And from when we first spoke, I think what made me feel so hopeful about your generation and the future that we all have in your hands is the amount that you and other young advocates, like the ones you've been working with, have been doing to to educate, to build communities, and to organize around food and climate issues. But I know this hasn't been without its challenges for you. I know you've been suffering with long COVID. So how have you managed to keep all of this on your plate? The honest answer, I think, with the long COVID is that I don't. Everything has been put to the backseat this year for about the past five months while I've been facing a whole host of different symptoms. And I think it is the most frustrating thing ever to be so passionate about so many different things, have so many opportunities, be it at work or outside of work, to be engaging, community building, doing all sorts of things that I love. And then having to say no, just because I feel like my body cannot keep up with me. And so I think that's been one of the toughest experiences I've ever had, really, living in another city away from home and having to to face this. And then also just starting a job like six months ago. (laughs) So I'm still very much at the very beginning stages of my time with the company. They've been very, very understanding about my situation, which I'm very grateful for. So in this time, I think I've really just tried to refocus my attention aside from getting better and healing. Also thinking about what I can do with the minimal amount of energy expended to not exhaust myself. And many ways, I think that actually is more effective because it creates more time for reflection on what's really needed. And also it's taught me the power of delegation. And these are many things I think if I hadn't had this experience, I wouldn't have learned. So there was definitely a lot to gain from it, but it also was a very, very important reminder that as someone as a young person in this space, it's very, very easy to burn out. It's definitely a conversation I've had with so many of my other friends that are doing so many things simultaneously as well, that you have to be fit to give. And sometimes that does mean saying no. It does mean 
resting and to rest is to walk further. I love that quote. So I'm really trying to put a positive spin on things, but yeah, not sugarcoating it. It has been very tough to to have to put a pause on everything, but I guess it just means I'm going to bounce back with a little bit more of a spring in my step when I am better, a bit more renewed energy and excitement about what's coming next. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that that moment comes, you know, sooner than you expect. And I mean, I'm sure it's really, really tough feeling exhausted all the time, you know, having to slow down. But I also have to say, if there's anything I've learned from the conversations that I've been having with women working in this space is that burnout is extremely common and most women do not learn the power of saying no or delegation until they they slam into a wall. So I think it's awesome that you've already identified the silver linings, but I think learning those things early on in your career, it will only serve you, not just in your career, in every part of your life. I mean, learning to say no, I'm still not good at it. Mm. Um, but people tell me <laughs> it's one of the best lessons. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite. I literally wrote this on my like whiteboard next to my monitor when I heard Radhika say this was nature never hurries for anything. It grows at its own time. And for a long time, I felt so stagnant. Like I'm just, I just have to be here. I have to rest. But then I'm like, this is not abnormal. This is what nature does. And I've spent so much time in nature during this time. It's helped me reflect a lot. You know, when I'm in nature, I reflect a lot about what I'm doing, where I'm going, where can I go when I'm better. And it's it's held that space for me, basically. Let's move on to what's next for you and what the big goals are for you in all of the work you're doing. So what would success for Sustainapod or for the other work that you're doing, particularly around food activism, food activism look like? (laughs) What's the sort of big, hairy, audacious goal? Oh, again, very hard to pin down like just one, but I think it would be really changing perspectives through education and doing so empowering stakeholders, you know, be it young people, private sector, others, <laughs> to empower them to unite on, on a journey to create a more sustainable food future for, for everyone. I'm, my goal is to work towards more co-created approaches rooted in community because I believe at the heart of it all, it's about building relationships with each other as human beings on this planet, but also our relationship with nature. So building partnerships is really my big, hairy, audacious goal this year. Um, I see it as like building a constellation of stars and joining the dots through that to create impact, be it through my podcast or through my other ventures as well. I love that. What what an amazing goal. Like increasingly, I when I speak to people who are working in the impact space, the things that come up and again and again in about how you can create real impact is partnerships. Partnerships, partnerships, like your partnership strategy, the network you're building, that is key to the impact you're creating, snowballing. So I think that is it's such an important goal. Good luck with it. I mean, I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll get there. Uh, I'm amazed at all of the things you've achieved so far. So is there any way that 
people can support you and the work you're doing? Yes. Do like and follow Sustainapod on our social media. On Instagram, we are at Sustainapod underscore G-I-H. We're also on LinkedIn. We'll be having, we'll be expanding to new mediums and new formats this year and really trying to make it more of a platform rather than just a podcast that can break down sustainability across different industries and geographies. So would would love to work with you, explore co-creation opportunities, get in touch with me and Conscious Eats, which is a more new venture. You can follow on Instagram as well, Conscious Eats underscore London. So yeah, get in touch. Um, that's the power of social media as well, <laughs> enabling <laughs> enabling all of this to happen, this conversation to happen and just many, many more. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I'll have links to all of those in the show notes so that people can follow and get in touch if there is a partnership opportunity. Thank you so much, Belinda, for this chat. Um, Thank you for all of the work you're doing, the incredible energy that you're bringing to the impact you're creating. Um, I'm watching closely and, you know, I hope that maybe there's going to be another opportunity for us to collaborate again. So, yeah. I would love that. Thank you so much for for having me. I I have looked up to so many of the people that have spoken on your podcast and you as well for a while now and so it's it's such an honor to be able to to speak and yeah, I, I really really love this experience. Great. No, honestly, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. I'm going to be keeping this podcast in my back pocket for whenever I feel a little bit anxious about the future that I'm leaving for my children. So much of what Belinda spoke about in this episode touched on the importance of partnership and collaboration at all stages of the value chain, which is why next week we're going to hear from community builder and partnership guru, Abby Pantano, who described building partnerships to me as her love language. I would love to hear who you'd like to hear from next on The Purpose Effect. Send me, or even better, connect me to amazing women building purpose-led businesses. You can DM me on Instagram, or you can send me an email. All of the ways to contact me are in the show notes. And you'll hear from me again next week. Bye.